Midwest Crime Files is a true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss adult themes and go over the details of heinous crimes and how they were committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. I'm Chris. We're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. This week's story brings us to the small southern Illinois town of Pinckneyville. And to be honest, I was surprised when I heard about this case because we don't live too far from Pinckneyville. And I was totally unaware. And as a true crime buff, it really surprised me. So, um... As I tell you this story, I want you to keep in mind that this is a small, predominantly white, Christian community with a fairly low crime rate. Um, It's definitely not the kind of area you would expect to see gang activity. Um, But here we go. It all started with the disappearance of Sydney Stevens. She was 15 years old when she went missing on July 19th, 2010. Now, the thing about Sydney is that she had a history of mental health struggles and some real issues. Um, She had in the past at least once attempted to commit suicide. She had run away and was gone for like three weeks and then eventually came back on her own in the past. Um, In the Twisted Sisters episode on this case, they talk about how her who she thought was her father, it turns out really was not her father. So when her mother and father divorced, her older brother and her older sister Dakota kept the last name Wall, whereas a paternity test was done and it was determined that Sydney was not her, who she thought was her father, his biological child. So they told her that at like five years old. And changed her last name to Stevens. And it seems like, according to her dad, like that just kind of propelled her into a series of mental health issues as she got older. So when she had disappeared in July of 2010, the family initially just thought, you know, she left again. She ran off. She'll come back. Um, they thought that she was gone by her own choice, but they were afraid that maybe she would hurt herself. That was a real possibility. When the truth came out about Sydney's disappearance, however, the entire community would be shocked and devastated. This is the story of the P-Town Saints murder. Sydney Stevens was born in 1995, the youngest of three siblings. She had an older brother and a sister that was somewhere around two or three years older than her, and her name was Dakota. Sydney was like a lot of little sisters. She wanted to hang around her older sister and her older sister's friends. And this, of course, like it is to any older sister, was annoying. Um, Dakota really didn't want Sydney around. She didn't care to have her little sister tagging along with her. But as the girls grew into teenagers, even though they really never were close, they hung around and fairly similar circles, but they never did form a real strong bond. At one point, Dakota started dating a boy named Chad Bennett. He was a few years older than her, and Dakota fell head over heels for Chad. Chad had a really close friend named Carl Dane, and Carl Dane actually dated Sydney. So now they're dating 
pretty much best friends and they're sisters but they still really didn't get along didn't really hang out with each other now Sydney would eventually end her relationship with Carl and according to investigation discoveries episode of twisted sisters Dakota found a journal that Sydney had written and when she read this journal her dislike for her sister turned into something stronger Sydney wrote in the journal about having a sexual encounter with Dakota's boyfriend, Chad Bennett. Now, that is kind of one of those things, I think, like when you're teenagers, maybe not to that extreme, but it happens, you know. Oh, so-and-so made out with my boyfriend, or, you know, whatever the situation might be. Yeah, that teenage jealousy is always, you know, that's something that's not new. Right, but I guess when it's your little sister... Well, yeah. That I mean, adds when a it, whole it, new... I guess it adds, But, I mean... I can't... I mean, I only have a younger sister, so I don't... Like, I never had an older sister or a younger sister or, you know, sibling that I could follow, like, tag along with. Right. So, I don't know. I mean, you would have more experience with that. Were you ever jealous of your sisters for dating somebody that you knew? I mean... To be honest, my siblings that are close to me in age weren't the most active daters in high school, so um, no, not really, but I had friends that, you know, I thought were close friends, and then all of a sudden they're making out with the boy they, that they knew I liked, or occasionally my actual boyfriend, or something along those lines, so I mean, it happens. I can see where that would be a big issue for, you know, an already strained relationship between these two sisters. Chad Bennett and Carl Dane were leaders of a local gang, and I say gang kind of in quotes. Yeah, th- th- this is the loosest form of gang. Like I, from what it's from what it's more like they were like drinking buddies and they all hung out like at the local I mean, we all had that one gang in high school that we hung out with, you they know. They kind of thought they were badasses, but they the really out. weren't up at least up until this point hanging out at the local like moto mart in the drive like in the parking lot smoking cigarettes and talking shit like yeah. this is like i said this is the loosest form of the term gang that we can possibly say right it's not your traditional thought when you think of like an inner city chicago gang yeah, or something the, like yeah, it's it's not your bloods and crips exactly so they called themselves the p-town saints you know okay um, also part of their gang was a kid named James Glazier, who was 17, and another kid named Robbie Mueller, who was only 15. When Dakota and Chad Bennett's relationship became serious, Dakota kind of became like the queen bee of the P-Town Saints. Um, she was cons- uh, Chad was considered the top leader, followed by Dane. So as Chad's woman, she was, you know... Well, yeah. She was the queen of the of the gang. She has the ear to the chief. <laughs> On July 19th of 2010, Sydney disappeared from her bedroom. What they did find weird, however, even though she had this history of disappearing, was that her purse, her money, her cell phone, items she would probably not have left without, were still in her room. So that kind of made people suspicious, but also, you know, she had a history of suicidal thoughts and and attempts so it was possible she left that stuff because she knew where she was gonna what she was gonna do and that you know so the idea that she had ran off somewhere to kill herself was not out of the question but 
the community community in Perry County, Illinois, rallied together trying to search for her, and that search ultimately came to an end on July 25th, 2010, when two fishermen found badly decomposed human remains in the water near the Bee Coop Creek Bridge south of Pinckneyville. Knowing there was a teenager missing, the investigators looked for a way to identify the remains because they were in a pretty advanced state of decomposition. You couldn't just look at her and say, like, this is who this is. But they, she did have some jewelry on. So they showed the jewelry found on the body to Sydney's mother, who tentatively identified the remains as those of Sydney. The body was conclusively identified later through dental records, and the autopsy revealed that Sydney died from, quote, homicidal violence, end quote. The investigation into Sydney's murder started with her close friends and family members. Her ex-boyfriend, Carl Dane, was brought in for questioning on July 28th. The police found blood on his clothing, so there's one thing right there, you know, like, he's all, he's just like top of the list now. Well, yeah. He claimed that he was over this breakup with Sydney. He really didn't care anymore. Um, you know, this was a couple of months ago. He's a teenager. He's moved on. Not entirely impossible. I mean, teenagers break up and they move on. And a couple of months as a teenager is a lot more significant than it is to an adult. You know, they move on, tend to move on quickly. But with the blood on his clothing, the investigators really pressed him and eventually he confessed what he said was that he and he alone snuck into Sydney's house strangled her until she passed out dragged her to his vehicle drove her over the bridge shot her and then pushed her off the bridge now his account of the murder with her being strangled and her being shot in the head that matched up with the body and the forensic evidence that they had. So they believed his story on that, but they didn't believe him about being the sole perpetrator. They felt like this murder had to have been done and planned by more than one person. And they didn't really feel like Carl Dane was smart enough. Now, he did have a record of some petty crimes. Like I said, he's in this P-Town Saints gang, so... Um, you know, he had some petty records like shoplifting and, you know, disorderly conduct, things like that. Um, but they really didn't believe that he had done this murder alone. The investigators decided to dig a little deeper into the P-Town Saints gang. They interviewed James Glazier and the next day, and James admitted to being a part of the crime. And he actually implicates a third member, Robbie Mueller. Robbie's then brought in and he also confesses. Mueller and Glazier claim that Dane was the one who told them that they were going to go kill Sydney that night and they would get killed if they didn't cooperate. The confession built the story of the truth behind Sydney's mur murder. On the evening of July 19th, Sydney was asleep in her bed when James Glazier and Carl Dane came into her home uninvited through a patio door that had been left unlocked. Robbie Mueller kept watch while Glazier and Dane took turns choking Sydney until she passed out and then drug her body out to the car. But 
As they're dragging her body out to the car, she regained consciousness. At that point, James Glazier says he jumped on top of her and strangled her again. And that just kind of go like, what kind of person strangle? Well, one strangles somebody, and then they wake up, and then you strangle them again. Well, a lot of like true crime shows that I watch and stuff, they talk about how intimate strangulation is. Well, yeah. Like, it's not a quick shoot you with a gun you're dead kind of no, thing like it's significantly I mean, long time to kill somebody I mean, by strangulation to, to blood choke somebody which is just to cut off the carotid arteries is a fairly quick you know an effective way it's like maybe five seconds but that doesn't kill them that just makes them pass out you know but you're right like strangulation takes it could take minutes depending on if you're like your grip where you're sitting like how they're sitting like oh there's so many different things that have to go into strangulation that's like strangulation and like knife like being stabbed Mm -hmm. are like you said are some of the like are committed considered intimate right and i just i mean you have to be like at that point you know what you're doing well and a lot of prosecutors will actually when they're presenting cases with strangulation they will stop and they will tell the jury like imagine somebody is strangling you or you're strangling somebody else and they will make you sit there in silence for like two minutes three minutes whatever they you know figure that it took them to strangle that person just you can see how long it takes right how many opportunities you would have had to stop what you were doing and then that that and just to to add before we go on you know that doesn't add on to the fact that you're staring this person in the face right you're seeing you know the the cries of help from their eyes from their everything else you know like that's the thing that doesn't get me like that gets me is that you're seeing this person like it's not like a bullet where you can shoot from a distance you're not you know you're not up close to the person or anything like that you're like you are literally have hands on them there and you can feel them worthing and struggling underneath you right so once they strangled her for the second time they put her in the car and they drove to the bridge and Dane shot Sydney two to four times in the head and then the boys dumped her body into the water below. A few days after the murder, James Glazier told the authorities that he and Dane actually went back to where her body was and they took a cement block that they got from Dane's house and tied it with rope from Dane's house around her arm to try to make sure her body would sink far enough so that it could not be discovered. And when authorities searched Dane's home, what do you know, they found a pile of concrete bricks that matched the concrete brick tied to her remains and they found the other half of the rope that was used to tie the brick. Sign, sealed, delivered, right? Not quite. So what they couldn't figure out is what the motive was. Why did they want to kill her? What could she have done? And what was even more suspicious was Sydney's sister Dakota and her boyfriend Chad Bennett were considered to be the leaders of this gang. So they wondered, like, how much did they know? Obviously, Dane is second in command for the gang. So they thought there's no way that the gang would have carried out a murder right. without I mean, Chad Bennett I mean, being aware of it. I mean, it's one of those things where even in, like, a gang doesn't put out a hit on somebody without the, you know, without the boss knowing. You always get permission from the boss. Right. And if they're trying to portray themselves as a, 
rough and tough gang, I, you know, it would be you would suspect that you know Dakota and Chad would both know something was going to happen. So they bring Dakota in for questioning, and on investigation discoveries, Twisted Sisters, they show footage from this, and it, it's nothing more of like sickening. She just lost her sister to homicide. She is completely unmoved, emotionless throughout this interrogation. When asked about who was responsible for planning her murder, she blamed Carl Dane. However, she later admitted that she knew Sydney had been murdered before her remains were found. When asked about the specifics of what the boys had told her, she was very nonchalant. She was like, oh, I'm a little sketchy on the details because I was trying to watch a movie and I wasn't really like, paying attention. I'm sorry. So, like, like, they're telling you how they murdered your sister and you're busy watching a movie and you can't tear your eyes off the screen long enough to hear how they murdered your sister? Right. Like, what? Um, it, it was just bizarre. It's really quite disturbing. And Dakota Wall was arrested in 2010. Um... At the time, she admitted to knowing that her sister had been killed but not reporting it, so she was charged with a felony obstruction of justice. She pled guilty to a lesser charge of obstructing a peace officer, and she got, from what I can tell, like, probation. Right. Um, But the authorities still just weren't quite sure if that was her, her total involvement in this case. Carl Dane pled guilty in 2011 to first-degree murder and was sentenced to 60 years in prison. The night before he was to be transported to IDOC custody from county jail, he was found dead, hung in his cell. His official cause of death was suicide. James Glazier and Robbie Mueller were both found guilty in a bench trial. Glazier was 17 at the time, and he was sentenced to 60 years in prison. Robbie, who was just 15 at the time and was less actively involved. I mean, he was the one watching the door, so he wasn't the one strangling her and grabbing her. Um, he And he was only 15, so he was sentenced to 37 years. And I'm, I'm sorry, but at 15, like, this is where we get in that whole debate, do they get tried as an adult? You know, and I'm sorry, at 15, and it's murder to in, in this degree... I'm sorry, you're getting tried as an adult and getting whatever, like, the full punishment. Like, that's just my opinion. Because it wasn't like it was a bunch of kids doing something stupid and they accidentally killed somebody. Like, somebody accidentally got hurt or killed. Mm-hmm. Like, they sought out this person. You knew exactly what was going down with that. And you're, like, you're 15. I know people are like, oh, well, you're 15, you can't make a judgment. Well, I'm sorry, but people, like... Murder is one of those things that our 10-year-old daughter knows. It, 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 it's bad. You don't kill people. You don't kill people. That's bad. And you're probably going to get in trouble. But the story doesn't even end here. In 2012, investigators were able to piece together a little bit more of the story of Sydney's death from the assailants that were convicted. They determined that two other people had been actively involved in the conspiracy to commit her murder. Those people, surprise, surprise, are Dakota Wall, her own sister, and Chad Bennett. They were both arrested and charged with first-degree murder, kidnapping, and home invasion. 
While their role in the crime remained unclear, Dakota then admits that she knew the murder was going to happen and she left the patio door unlocked to make sure the gang members could get into her home and kill her sister. The charges, uh, unfortunately, against Chad Bennett were initially dropped after his 2012 arrest because they really couldn't get enough evidence against him to secure his conviction. In the meantime, Dakota pled guilty in 2014 to a lesser charge of home invasion, and she was given a 26-year prison sentence for her role. Chad Bennett was eventually charged once again with first-degree murder in 2018. He ended up accepting a plea arrangement for home invasion as well and was sentenced to 26 years in prison. Now back to Robbie Mueller. Now you know he was 15 at the time this happened and had probably the least active role. Well, apparently he was pretty essential to getting Chad Bennett um, convicted. So at 15 years old at the time of his crime, he was successful in having his murder conviction vacated in 2018 on the grounds that he had ineffective assistance of counsel. Sydney's mother agreed to allow him to plea to a lesser charge of home invasion, and he was resentenced to 26 years in prison in 2018. Sydney's mother stated that she forgave Mueller, whom she now has regular contact with, and she feels that he's truly remorseful. She said, quote, he was put into a situation by a couple of bullies, end quote. In response, Mueller said, quote, I promise I'll make something of my life and there won't be any day where you'll regret forgiving me, end quote. James Glazier has appealed his conviction and his sentence, but so far he's been unsuccessful at doing so. Glazier and Dane were the ones who physically murdered Sydney, so it seems fitting to me that Glazier spends 60 years in prison. Yeah. As mentioned before, Dane committed suicide after his sentencing. The motive for the murder still is not 100% clear, but family and friends suggest that Dakota was really jealous of Sydney um, and that her jealousy really boiled over when she read the diary, en diary entry that her boyfriend Chad Bennett had had some sort of sexual encounter with her little sister. Many believe that Dakota was actually the mastermind, but there's nothing that they've been able to prove this with. Another suggestive motive that I read was that Sydney was a snitch on the gang, but I never could find any credible evidence for that or even like an accusation that, oh, she did this or, oh, she did that. Right. It was just mentioned in an article. Right. Um, so, I mean, that doesn't really seem plausible. I think it's probably more plausible that her sister was jealous and wanted her gone. I think it's important to note that although this, this group of people refers to themselves as a gang, gang activity is not something you find in Pinckneyville. In multiple references, it's suggested that these kids portrayed themselves as a hardcore gang, but they really were not until the murder of Sydney Stevens. In the end, jealousy and peer pressure cost Sydney Stevens her life and forever changed the course of five young people involved in the crime as well as their families. Sydney's mother lost two daughters through this tragedy. Now, on our blog, um, on our website, www.themidwestcrimefiles.com, there are a lot of pictures for this story. 
Um, Sydney's picture is on top because I think it's important we honor the victims and not glorify the perpetrators. But as you go down, you see the pictures from, you know, this has now been over a decade ago. Um, the picture of Carl Dane, uh, he's an unfortunate looking dude. And, um, you know, you see James Glazier, who just looks like a kid who thought he was a badass, don't you think? Yeah. And then you see Robbie Mueller, who is probably, like, the most sympathetic one, like, if you're going to have sympathy for anybody. And you see Dakota Wall. I, I don't know about her. And then Chad Bennett, like, if you're going to kill your sister over that dude, you got bigger problems, because he is not attractive. Just saying. And then there's updated pictures as well, and he he's just not a very attractive dude. <laughs> I wouldn't kill anybody over him, ladies. Please do not kill anybody over a man, because in 10 years, they're not going to look so much worth doing that over. Um, there's a lot of people that describe Dakota as a sociopath, a psychopath, and you almost have to be to plan your own sister's murder. Right. This story, like I said, was really a surprise because it's not that long ago, about 10 years ago in a pretty nearby town. And it's very, it's got elements of like, could easily be like a lifetime movie. You know, it's, it's just, it's a pretty sensational story, but it's, it's a sad story and a tragedy at that. Um, I wanted to let you guys know that this is episode 18. We have two more episodes left of season one. And then we will go on to a hiatus until July 7th, where we will come back. And on July 7th, we have a very, very special story for you guys. And it's going to feature uh, my interview with the perp alleged perpetrator, uh, convicted perpetrator. So um, tune in for that. We're going to explore a local case in a lot of depth and um, really see what we can make out of it yeah. um there might be some things in that that really surprise you things that weren't reported um and my correspondence with the convicted murderer will um hopefully shed some new light on some case a case that you've probably heard of but don't have all the information on so we look forward to that as always make sure to like and follow us on facebook and visit our website, www.themidwestcrimefiles.com, where you can see our blog post with pictures and references. And until then, we will see you next week. Have a good night. <laughs>